Let's now turn in the inspired scriptures to Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58, let's read the entirety of that chapter together. This is the word of God. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, 
And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Thus far we read God's word. Let's now turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 38, which is a faithful summary of this scripture of uh, scripture passage and others. Lord's Day 38. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, on this Sabbath day, we come to the commandment that concerns the Sabbath. It's good for us in the preaching on Sunday to hear about Sunday itself and why it's so important. One idea that I want to be at the very forefront of our minds like an unfurled banner, is that the Sabbath is a delight to us. This morning we want to get really at the very heart. Where is your and where is my heart when it comes to the Sabbath? What is your, what is my attitude when it comes to to Sunday. We want to look at that. There is a commandment here to be sure. The Lord certainly commands of us, requires of us something, and we'll get to that as well. But we want that to be seen in this whole context of the heart attitude that we ought to have toward the Sabbath. It's a delight. That's Isaiah chapter 58. With the Fourth commandment, we've already been through a number of commandments as a church as we've been marching through the Heidelberg Catechism. First commandment having to do with whom we worship. Second commandment concerning how we worship. Third commandment has to do with the name of God in our worship. And now the fourth commandment, when we worship. And you see that in this first table of the law, commandments one through four, they all have that common theme of worship. So we turn our attention this morning to the fourth commandment under the theme, the commandment concerning 
the Sabbath. Notice with me three points. The Sabbath, its meaning. Secondly, the Sabbath, our delight. And then third, the Sabbath, the future. The Sabbath is a day of rest. That's what our Heidelberg Catechism says too. A couple of lines in. That I especially on the Sabbath, that is on the day of rest. In fact, that word Sabbath itself means rest. In order to get an idea of Sabbath rest, we ought to go all the way back some 6,000 years to the beginning of the world. You remember that God created all things in heaven and earth in six literal 24-hour days. And then after he created all things in six days, then on the seventh day, the Bible tells us he rested. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. When we talk about rest, you really have to start within God himself, because God, in and of himself, eternally, and perfectly, is a God of rest. And when it says here that he rested on the seventh day, he's simply showing or manifesting outside of himself what's true of him eternally. So he's a God of rest. But what could it possibly mean that on the seventh day he rested? Well, that obviously does not mean that he created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he was idle, inactive, not really doing anything whatsoever. That's not what it means that God rested. Fact is, God is a God of pure activity, infinitely, fully, eternally a God of activity. So it can never be said of him on the seventh day either that He's just doing nothing. But this, that God rested on the seventh day, means simply he finished his work of creation in six days and then he entered into the enjoyment of that finished work of creation. That's rest. Entered into the enjoyment of his finished work of creation. Now, he makes a man. First human being ever to live on the face of the earth, his name is Adam. God creates Adam, and there's Adam, a good creation of God, nothing wrong with him. He's living in the paradise of the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine, children, what living in the Garden of Eden was like? No sin, perfect. Adam and Eve live in blessed friendship and fellowship with God. 
There are no arguments. There's no, there are no tears. It's paradise. Adam was enjoying what we call the creation Sabbath, which just means Adam and Eve also entered into the enjoyment of God's finished work of creation. What a wonderful life that was. But everything changed when they fell into sin. Goes over, Eve does, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree God said you may not partake of that, she does. She gives to her husband Adam to eat as well. They both fall into sin, disobeying the clear word of the Lord. Sin is the exact polar opposite of rest. Sin is unrest. Sin is burden. Sin is toil. Sin is misery. There is nothing of true rest in sin. But God. Don't you love those words in the Bible? They're the gospel. But God, in his unfathomable wisdom and plan, determined to bring about a better and a higher rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, better and higher than there ever could have been in that creation Sabbath. You understand the fall of man into sin was not a chance happening. And it certainly was not this, that God originally had a plan A, and all of a sudden, to his surprise, it didn't really work out, so now he has to scramble and cobble together a plan B, and that's Christ. You know that's not the case. God doesn't scramble and have to go to a plan B. The fall of man was always in the plan of God. That's not to say that God is to blame for sin or that he's the author of sin or that he's responsible for it. God is not the author for sin, not responsible for it at all. Man is to blame. But we may and we must say that also the fall and sin is included in God's plan. He's sovereign. And he determined to bring about that better and higher rest in the rest giver himself, Jesus Christ. You understand why that's better? And that's a higher rest than what the creation Sabbath could ever be? Because now, God is going to take a people who are way down in the dumps of sin and unrest and misery and bondage and slavery, and he's going to take those people out of those depths, and he's going to exalt them so high in Jesus Christ that they enjoy blessed, pleasurable fellowship with him forever. That's why the rest in Jesus Christ is better and higher than the creation Sabbath could ever be. Sometimes we call that the deep way of sin and grace. 
You see something, beloved? Of the wisdom of God. And what a rest he's provided in Christ. Now let's go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the way you can think about it is, God was giving his people picture books to point them to and teach them about the rest giver, Jesus Christ, who was to come. We deal that way with our children, don't we? Little children, the best way that they learn, and the teachers in school know this too, is we give them pictures very often. So if a, an idea is rather abstract or deep, we hand a book to them and we say, look at these pictures, boys and girls, and these will teach you about something. God dealt with his people in the Old Testament as children, giving to them picture books, so to speak. And one of them was that he delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, brought them through the years of the wilderness, and brought them to rest in Canaan. Egypt is slavery. They're under taskmasters who hate them. Egypt is burdens and all sorts of that. And then God brings them out of that into the rest of Canaan. And by that, he says, here's a picture book to teach you something about Christ whom I promised and what he will do. Another picture book that God gave to his people in the Old Testament was the weekly Sabbath. They had that back then too. It was on the seventh day, Saturday. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But that weekly Sabbath for Old Testament Israel, as well as some of the other appointed days that God gave them, those not only pointed back to their deliverance from Egypt into Canaan, but all of that pointed ahead to the rest giver, Jesus Christ. It's just another picture book. But then, those pictures were no longer needed. Because the rest giver himself had come in God's appointed time, sent forth his only begotten son into the flesh, Jesus Christ. You don't need pictures anymore because the one that was pictured is now here, the reality. He suffered all his days long. He was nailed to the cross suffering there, atoning for the sins of all of his people. He rose again from the dead. And now, in that suffering of Jesus Christ, there is a basis, the only basis that there is for fellowship with God. And that fellowship with God to enjoy friendship communion with him, both now and forever, that is rest. True rest for the soul in Christ. The Sabbath is for you a day of rest. See how we've come full circle now? We enter on Sunday we enter into the enjoyment of the finished work 
of Jesus Christ. That's rest. It's on this day that we remember, we celebrate, we enjoy that finished work of salvation in Christ at the cross. So the Sabbath is a day of rest. And now let's add to that something else, a new point. Every single week, there is one definite day that we call the Sabbath. Every week, one specific day, which is the Sabbath day. That's plain enough even from the very beginning when God made everything in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. He laid down, you might say, a pattern for the rest of history and the pattern is this. There is to be one day every single week, which is the day of rest. That's the fourth commandment too. It refers to a definite day, the Sabbath. And the principle there is that there's one day every week, which is the Sabbath. I think that's important to hear because nowadays there are churches which say the following or something like it. We are to keep the fourth commandment by resting in Christ, but we're to do that every day of the week. Well, fine. There's nothing wrong with saying that in and of itself, of course. We'll get to that later too. There's rest in Christ, and we enjoy that every day of the week. But they make that argument because they want to get away from having one specific definite day every week, which is the Sabbath day. And usually that's because I want to do my own pleasures and my own things on that day. So it's important that we hear Scripture teaches there's one day every week, which is the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, that was the seventh day, Saturday. That was the Old Testament Sabbath. Now in the New Testament, the Sabbath of the New Testament is the first day of the week, Sunday. There are those who deny that there ever should have been that change from Saturday to Sunday. Probably the most well-known group to us that denies that is the Seventh-day Adventists. They'll make a number of arguments, but one of them is this. In the Fourth Commandment, the very essence of the Fourth Commandment is that you have the seventh day as your Sabbath. And so what are you doing changing to the first day of the week? How would you answer the Seventh-day Adventists? Why is it that we worship on Sunday now in the New Testament? Takes a little bit of explanation. There is what we call the moral law of God. The moral law extends yet into the New Testament. It's in effect, it's in force, and it will be there all the way through history. But there's also what we call the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law ceased at the coming of Christ and the use of it is abolished among Christians. The fourth commandment belongs to the moral law of God and we must insist upon that too. 
The fourth commandment endures yet also in the New Testament and it's in force for you and for me. No doubt about it. But there is inside of the fourth commandment a ceremonial element that ceases at the coming of Christ. And the ceremonial element inside the fourth commandment is that whole matter of worshiping on the seventh day. That ceases now at the coming of Christ. Sunday is the New Testament Sabbath. And the proof for that is abundant. Chiefly, Jesus Christ arose from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday. Revelation 1 verse 10 calls the first day of the week the Lord's day. It's His day. After all, He arose on that day. He claims the day for Himself as one in which in a special way we're devoted to Him who is the exalted Lord and risen Lord. And don't forget, it was on the first day of the week that Jesus came to his disciples both individually and as a group and he met with them. And then the very next Sunday, he reappears to his disciples as a group. He meets with them again. And if you needed anything more, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church on what day of the week? The first day, Sunday, that is the New Testament Sabbath. Is that day of rest, on the first day now, a delight to you? It is, the fourth commandment, a command. We'll get to that in a moment. But we want to see it in that whole framework. This day is a delight. And for me to keep this commandment by the grace of God is a gladsome thing. It is. That's something that we ought to remember and that we need to hear somewhat regularly because the threefold enemy that we have wants to think, make us think. This day isn't all that great. Probably that's especially a struggle for children. Sunday's coming. Oh, three hours sitting quietly in church. But that's something that we adults struggle with sometimes too in the sense of, I've got a whole pile of work this week. And it sure would be nice, like the vast majority of my coworkers, to get a few things done on Sunday so that I'm not overwhelmed when Monday morning comes again. And when we're on vacation, can be a little bit of a drag. Now we have to get go to go to church and it would just rather do our own things on vacation on Sunday. Something that we can struggle with. Satan, our own flesh, and the world pressure us to think this day is not a delight, but it is a burden. But the Word of God is so different. If you'd like, you can look with me at Isaiah 58, verse 13. 
If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable. That's what it is. We call it a a thing of delight. It's, It's something of luxury for us. The day is heavy. It's weighty in the sense that it is an honorable thing. That really gets to the heart, doesn't it? What my attitude is toward this day. Why is it such a gladsome thing? Because it's on this day. And especially when I come here with the public assembling of the saints in church, that I enjoy fellowship with God. And what can be possibly better than that and more enjoyable? It's in church that I hear the word of the Lord in so many words and in different ways, but the same idea I have by an outstretched mighty arm taken you out of the bondage and slavery of spiritual Egypt and I've brought you unto myself. Isn't that wonderful to hear on the Sabbath? That's what makes it a delight. And what's so joyful and delightful about the Sabbath is that I get to hear my Savior speak to me. Life-giving gospel words. Did you come here this morning experiencing the guilt of your sin? Probably when Sunday morning comes and we come into church, we come almost crawling. And I'm not talking about physical exhaustion, but spiritually because I sinned this week, and there are certain things that I can even point to. This is how I violated the law of God. When I come to church, I come heavy laden with that, the guilt of my sin, experiencing that. But then to sit here and to hear the Savior speak to me, I've died for you, I love you, your sins are washed in my blood, and I've taken away the guilt of your sin, There's nothing like that. The Sabbath is a delight. You see, beloved, you and I are new creatures in Christ. New creatures have new delights. Without Jesus, you and I, we go after the things of sin And it's evilness that makes us glad. As new creatures in Christ, though, I have new desires. And by the grace of God, the Sabbath and what is good, that is what makes me glad. We not only must, we can, we will, in a beginning way, have that delight. That's the perspective, heart, attitude, that I want us to have. But don't forget, now in that framework, this is a commandment. Partly what the Lord requires of us in the fourth commandment is that we empty Sunday, 
of all of our ordinary weekday labors. That, in part, is what he requires of us. I want to make a qualification. There is such a thing as a work of necessity and a work of mercy. You remember work of necessity, Jesus saying those well-known words, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? If you have an ox that just fell into a pit and it's the Sabbath day, well, you're still going to get the ox out. That's a thing which is necessary. They're not only works of necessity, but works of mercy. Jesus went about healing performing miracles on the Sabbath. Children learn that in catechism as well. And there are occupations today that are works of necessity and works of mercy in different ways. And those are legitimate occupations. They are. Now I want to be very careful, but bold too to say it, Someone who is in such an occupation must be very careful. And it ought to be the utmost endeavor of someone who is in that line of work that they come to church, that they keep the Sabbath free from ordinary labor. I'll dare say, too, it ought to be even rare that someone in that sort of work cannot come to church. This gets to heart. When the Sabbath makes me glad, when it's my burning desire to be in the house of the Lord and to hear my Savior speak to me there, I won't want to miss church. And it may be that there's a worship service here and there that I must miss work of necessity, or work of mercy. But when that happens, I can hardly stand it. It's not a normal Sunday. I want to be with the saints, and I want to be under the preaching, and I miss it. But apart from those exceptions, we must empty the day of those normal, ordinary, weekday labors. Isaiah 58, verse 13 brings this out when it says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy own pleasure on my holy day, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Seems that there's a play on words here. Call the Sabbath a delight, but don't pursue your own delights and do your own thing. On the Sabbath, we could group in one category the things that we must empty our day of. And I think in this category, many and probably most of us would not disagree at all. Things like mowing the lawn, working in the garden, going to work, hitting up the gym, filling up the gas tank, cleaning the house from top to bottom. I think we're all under the understanding that those sorts of things are inappropriate on the day of rest. But I want to show you another category 
to challenge not only you, but challenge myself. Children, homework is really not appropriate for the Sabbath day. That's the thing that you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Just like dad goes to the office or the construction site Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Homework is your regular everyday labor and that too ought to be laid aside on this day. What about our devices? Phone, computer. It's easy for me to say, well, of course I'm not going to spend two or three hours in the afternoon or at night after church watching the baseball game or football game or basketball game. It's Sunday. But do I pull out my phone and check the score? And that right there reveals the direction of my heart at that moment. Do I prop myself up by an elbow before a nap? Look at social media for 45 minutes. Where is my heart concerning the Sabbath? I think you know the answer to those questions. Even as far as our planning is concerned, sometimes I didn't plan properly and I really should have done this thing on Saturday. I failed to do it and so I'm forced to do whatever this thing is on Sunday and I really shouldn't be doing it on the Sabbath day, even speaks to our planning. So the Lord requires of us to empty the day of those everyday, ordinary weekday labors, but sometimes people mistakenly stop there and they think that's the only thing that the fourth commandment is addressing. And when you think of the commandment only as emptying, well, then Sunday turns into something of physical inactivity. And, well, I go to church twice, but other than that, be sort of lazy and not really do anything at all, just sort of lie around. But that's not what the Sabbath is about either. There might be, for some of us men who work by the sweat of our brow, with our hands every day of the week. There might be some physical relief on Sunday, but that's not what the day is about or it means. You see, all of that must be emptied from the day, and what results is a big empty space, and that empty space must then be filled with the things of the Lord. It might very well be that the Sabbath is the busiest, most exhausting day of the week for you. Busy in the things of the kingdom. It's true that we worship and we rest every day of the week. No argument there. But this occurs in a concentrated way on Sunday. Edward Catechism gets at what the Sabbath day must be filled with. First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. Now, at first, when you read that little phrase, you scratch your head and you say, what does 
the support of the schools have to do with the Sabbath day rest. By schools there is meant the theological school, the seminary, the one that we're familiar with as our Protestant Reformed theological school where men are taught to be pastors and to preach the gospel. Here's the logic, though. The seminary is where men are trained to preach the gospel. And why is that so important? Because it's under gospel preaching that the people of God have rest for their souls. That's the connection. And so part of our filling the Sabbath day is that we support our seminary. And that will especially be in your prayers and in mine. In a day in our denomination, when we have a lack of ministers, how many times from your pulpit and in your congregational prayers has that not been brought before the throne of grace in the last couple of years? We need ministers. And I ask you, fathers, when you're sitting at your table in front of your wife and your children, is a part of your keeping of the Sabbath that you pray earnestly, Lord of the harvest, bring to us more pastors in our churches to preach that gospel under which we may have rest. Bring that, Father. And then I'll ask men, young men, but also older men too, have you considered the ministry? Have you prayed about that? We need more laborers. Filling the day up will not only consist of that, but this too, catechism goes on to say, diligently frequent the church of God, and, to, and now it talks about the various elements, to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Now we get to the heart of Sunday. This isn't the only part about Sabbath rest, but we've come to the heart of it. Publicly assembling at church with the fellow saints in the corporate worship of God. That's what it's talking about. That especially is Sabbath day observance. That especially is what we must fill the Lord's day with. Don't ever forget this is a command. This is not optional. So that, well, if I go to church or if I don't go to church, I'll sort of decide that. And it, it's an optional thing. I might, no. It's commanded of us. It's required. We must. And it's so serious that should we keep ourselves from church in a pattern and that we do that for illegitimate reasons, we become the subject of the labors of the elders. But here too, it's a command for sure. But isn't it the delight of my heart so that I won't even ask, well, it's church today, must I go? But the attitude will be, I get to go to church because it's here in the sanctuary that the rest giver says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, delight. And even though prayer 
purpose for the seminary, attending church on Sunday, that will comprise much of the day. That's not all of the Sabbath. There are other things too. Before and after the worship services, consider that I go in the back in the narthex after church and I talk with the fellow saints. Spiritual tone to that talk. That's part of it. That as a dad, I scoop my chair back, whether at breakfast or lunch or supper, and, well, family, let's talk about the sermon or sermons today. Let's be in the Word. Let's apply this to our family. Or even on Sunday morning, before I've even gone to both worship services, the bulletin has been sent out. Let's talk about the passages and what we might be hearing and warm up to the message. It might look like this in your home, that you have a standard bearer in your lap, a beacon lights for the children and young people for an hour or two, or that you pass psalters around to the family. Everyone choose a number. Let's fill the day with the things of the Lord. Empty Fill, what a calling is ours. As I pointed out, it's on the Sabbath day that we hear the gospel. And today, too, we must hear that gospel, but now is applied to this. Because as you're sitting there, you're thinking, and I'm thinking as I'm preaching it, I've not emptied the day like I should. I've not filled it like I should. And to be honest, when it comes to my heart, there's delight, yes, by the grace of God, but often I find that I see it as a burden in some respects. And the gospel to you this morning, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross also for those sins. Those sins in you and in me are forgiven. They are for the sake of the rest giver himself. And God who has already by changing your heart made you to be worshipers of his name continuously operates in you by his Holy Spirit enabling you, powering you to lay aside those labors, filling the day in great thankfulness for everything that he's done in Christ. But there's something to be said, not only about the Sabbath, but about the future as well. There's something to be said about the Sabbath and the future, the future in the sense of the week that lies ahead. Now I want you to think of this week that lies ahead of you. Catechism gets at every day of our lives when it says that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me. There's a relationship between Sunday and the week. And the relationship is this. On Sunday, you are given the fuel for Monday through Saturday, strengthened to go through the trials and all the labors that are in your life. How important is Sunday? But there's something to be said too about the Sabbath and the future, the future in the sense of heaven, 
which is to come. Here, in Loveland Protestant Reformed Church, this Sunday morning and every worship service, you have a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath. Catechism mentions that, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. I know it's only a foretaste. It is, but it's a foretaste nonetheless. And then you ask, why does my heart throb with such a delight in the assembling of the saints, and especially under the preaching of the gospel? Because I have that taste of glory. Eternal Sabbath. To be in the presence of Jesus where there shall be rest forever. No more burdens. No more tears. No more trials and no more sin. In heaven, there won't be any weekly Sabbath anymore. It will always be Sabbath. And I tell you, children, it will not be boring. Endless delights. Joys to the full. Don't you long for that? What you've been through as a congregation the last few weeks... Don't you long for that? Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive. Amen. Father in heaven, what a foretaste is ours of that glory which is to come. We thank and we praise Thee for Jesus Christ, through whom we enjoy fellowship both now and forever with Thee. And Father, our hearts thrill at the hope, the certain expectation of seeing Him who lived for us and died for us and arose again to see Him in all of His glory and beauty face to face. So Father, strengthen us to keep this fourth commandment. Forgive us when we haven't. For Jesus' sake, amen.